So we are finishing up our series on suffering this morning, which we started off the year with. And we've been talking about the tension of alleviating suffering and embracing suffering. And we've landed on this idea that a good, full life includes both alleviating suffering and embracing suffering. And we can see Jesus as a model of navigating this tension. So today we are going to tie up some loose ends, um, some things that we had in our notes but didn't get to, because shocking, I know, but Vince and I tend to have a lot of notes. What, what are you insinuating? What are, <laughs> We've got a lot to yeah, say. Yeah, we, we absolutely do. <laughs> so we're going to return back to some of that. And then we're also going to look at some questions that we had based on feedback from all of you um, with in-person conversations and through Discord. Yeah, and a special thank you. We, we often will um, get feedback from folks uh, throughout the weeks or here on Sundays, like if you're in our Discord chat. Um, uh, and th this week especially, it was just so, it benefited so much from uh, people who responded, people who replied, people who grabbed us after church like last week um, uh, to, to add their, uh, their two cents to what we were doing. So yay for like, it takes a village to theologize and uh, follow a God of love, right? Good job, everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we have three things that are completely disconnected from each other. It's gonna be like three little mini sermons. Yes. Uh, they're not totally disconnected, but no. yeah. Um, the first one that we wanted to talk about was miracles. So why don't you uh, set us up for why we're talking about miracles for this first one. Yeah, so I thought it'd be helpful to start by talking about the open and relational view on God and life that we dove into last week. Um, so this is something that we've talked about before, but just wanted to kind of remind everyone where we are coming from when we talk about miracles. So open and relational. Open, that piece of it, um, it's like looking at life as a book that's not already written or predetermined by God. That life is like an in-process document. You've got your Google Doc going, and <laughs> God is the cursor that's moving yes. across the screen as things are being written out. Life is unfolding, and God is present with us as that story is unfolding. And then relational, that life is not just the will of an all-controlling God or just what God chooses to allow instead of stop. Life is the result of the interrelatedness of God and the world, including all of us and our free will. Mm -hmm. God is not the only cause for why things happen or don't happen. There are many other complex causes at play. I found it helpful to reframe the popular mentality that God works in mysterious ways as life works in mysterious yeah. ways. Yeah. God is actually consistent, consistently loving and just, but it's life that is mysterious and complex. Yes, I like that. I like God is not mysterious, but God shows us what God is like in Jesus, but life is is impossibly complex yes. uh, to understand all that. So yeah, life works in mysterious ways is a, is a simple way to think about when we're talking about the open and relational view. Um, so the controversial part of that, that some people really, really intelligently last week, uh, especially picked up on and, uh, and started some conversations with us after uh, afterward is that this changes the way we might think about miracles if there isn't this mm -hmm. all-controlling God who's like deciding miracle time you know <laughs> um, and so the fear in in what we're talking about here or what we um, brought up last week is is wondering like is this saying miracles can't happen is it is it is it limiting God's ability to do mighty deeds uh, especially with one of the suggestions that I brought up last week about a different comfort that it's really important when we're talking about those tensions and holding things together the the often the most comforting response to someone who has suffered for a long time and cried out God why didn't you stop this is a sort of acknowledgement of like, 
God could not single-handedly magically stop an instance of suffering because God doesn't have that. That's not sort of possible for uh, if God is not all-controlling. It's important to that person who has suffered because a God who could single-handedly magically stop an instance of suffering before it happened like th- that, what, what is that God doing? God, God is asleep on the job or that mm-hmm. God must not care about me enough or uh, that God must not care about this particular instance of suffering. It causes huge, huge problems. And so we, we, what we were sort of working is, do we have to make a trade-off? Like, do we have to either ha- be able to comfort people who have suffered and, 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 and uh, like have, you know, this sense of like, oh, oh no, there's, there's a cold God and that God doesn't see when uh, things are terrible or there's injustice or I'm suffering personally, or this person I love is suffering personally, do we need to either have that comfort or have the comfort of a God that can work miracles? Are they mutually exclusive? Or is there a different way to think about this where we can have both? And I do believe there's a different way that we can think about this where we can have both, uh, but it does mean we have to slightly shift the way that we think about a miracle. So to do that for a second, uh, this is our first little mini sermon, is we're going to invite up a friend. Uh, Let's give Ed Wang a hand. Ed is going to come up here. Ed, thank you for making your way up here. We'll play some musical chairs yeah, today. Na, 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 na. We're going to switch chairs. Da, na, 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 na. Thanks, Ed. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Ed had such a thoughtful response last week after we talked about this opening relational view that I wanted, uh, I, I invited him. I said, would you be willing to tell us the story that he told me uh, last week uh, about a miracle? And we're going to, we're going to engage that story and sit in the beauty and the power of it. And then we're going we're gonna to interpret it in a different way than God works in mysterious ways. We're going to interpret it in that open and relational. Life works in mysterious ways, and God is this all-influencing, amazing power who is there to help us. So, Ed, can you tell us the story that you told me last week? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about miracles. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in um, you know, a really conservative church, um, and I think for others that have grown up in a conservative church like me, we're very well accustomed to stories of God creating, yeah. you know, performing miracles. So this is one of my stories. Um, so when I was a child, uh, I was in sixth grade. So this was like the late 80s or early 90s. Um, I had high blood pressure. Okay, so I had high blood pressure in sixth grade. And high blood pressure, um, high blood pressure can be indicative of uh, issues with uh, the function of your heart, mm. the function of your kidneys. And for a child to have high blood pressure, that can be a huge red flag. And for my parents, this was a very serious issue, right? So they were determined to figure out what was causing my high blood pressure. And as a result of this, I was routinely going to the doctor every couple months, right, uh, to check my high blood pressure. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me that was driving my high blood pressure. All that they knew was that I was consistently testing with high blood Mm -hmm. pressure every time I went in. And my parents were... Gosh, they must have been so scared. Yeah. They were, you know, this was the the most important thing for them to figure this out. Um, So my parents, you know, routinely prayed throughout the couple years. uh, and then eventually, um, a couple years later, when I was in eighth grade, my parents um, found out about this Christian pastor healer that was coming to mm-hmm. town, right, mm-hmm. and holding a service. And these were the people that, you know, were able to put their hands on you 
and say a prayer and mm-hmm. heal you on would the Would they spot. just put their hands on you or would they do other things too sometimes? <laughs> this one in particular would, you know, put, put your hand, hand right on you and say yeah. a prayer. Yeah. Um, so we went to this, we went to this uh, service um, and it was, uh, you know, he was there and, yep. and there was lot, there were lots of people in sure. the crowd. Yep. He said a short, a short sermon, you know, we sang some tunes and then it was time, you mm-hmm. know, it was time for the uh, performance and mm-hmm. lots of people started lining the aisles of the church and my parents took me into the line. So I was like, you know, as a child, you know, mm-hmm. and, sure. and I was, uh, I walked up to the stage and he came up to me and he put my, he put his hand on my head and he said a prayer and then, um, you know, something like be healed, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 um, kind of a theatrical <laughs> impact and, um, I didn't feel anything, right? You're supposed to feel this, like God's presence take you over and then you fall over, mm-hmm. right? And, and everyone was, was doing that, right? Um, I didn't feel anything when he said the prayer. I did feel a tremendous sense of humiliation that mm. I didn't feel yeah, that. Yeah, sure, sure. Which caused me to um, just go ahead and close my eyes and, and go down. Sure, sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and I remember laying there with my eyes closed and kind of peeking around, yeah. you know, like, like wondering, like, is everyone else just kind of pretending, yep. you know, or did they, or did they feel something? Did they yeah. feel something mm-hmm. that brought them down? Um, so anyway, that, that, that occurred. Um, but the impactful thing with my story is that after that event, um, I never tested for high blood pressure, high blood pressure again. again. Wow. Yeah. It was it was immediate. Yep. You know, the next time I went to the doctor, my blood pressure was stabilized, mm-hmm. and it it's never spiked yeah. since then. Yeah. It's very difficult for me to not draw a relation to that yeah. event yeah. and yeah. say that a miracle didn't occur. I mean, it, at that at that instant. Totally, and 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 it's it's. Uh, I love the. I think I was so drawn into your story when you told me this because you are not pulling any punches about the things about this that were uncomfortable or confusing or that you wouldn't like to see repeated to another person. Uh, obviously, feeling humiliated is not a great feeling. And, uh, and yet, there's something going on here that is beyond like what we can naturally explain, right? And so, what, how do we make sense of that? How do we, how do we, how do we make sense of the fact that there were all of these uh, things going in and, you know, but what we, what we're resulted with is you've not had high blood pressure since. And, you know, like for all intents and purposes, like that's a miracle. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, from, um, from a scientific or medical mm-hmm. standpoint, they, they never figured it out. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah, they thought yeah. it was my diet. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. tested the functioning, you know, my, my, uh, different organs. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually just chalked it up to, uh, stress mm-hmm, as mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I was a child, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they, they were never av- actually able to figure out, um, what had caused it. I believe, you know, or what I, what I choose to believe mm-hmm. is that I, I, I don't think that this healer mm-hmm. actually healed me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, the, the prayer that my parents had had some know, sort of impact. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the faith that they had yeah. for a couple years while yeah. I was going through this, I believe that that was the main yeah. contributor yeah. and that God had, um, 
use that event as kind of a vehicle to, to answer my parents' yeah. prayers. Yeah, well, I love you. You use the word contribution there of like a, a major contributor. And I think this is where, so if we're, gonna, if we're gonna try to understand like the miraculous can happen from this open and relational view, if that feels helpful to you, I think what we would say is that the miracle that you experienced is not God choosing to suspend the usual rules as opposed to all of those other times that God doesn't do that. And so then, you know, you, which again leads to that sense of over time where you're just like, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? You answered this other person's prayer. What the heck? Uh, it also leads to a lot of the more uncomfortable parts of what you experience, which is we dial up all of this magical thinking to say, like, we can make this happen if we do X, Y, and Z. And if we do X, Y, and Z, follow that formula every time, more miracles will happen. Right. Those sorts of things, that, that's where we start to get into trouble. But if we can understand instead, what, uh, I think a, a helpful word here, uh, like you were using the word contribution, is this was an especially powerful moment of alignment between God and the world. Your parents' prayers contributed to that alignment, right? The peer pressure that you experienced is a condition that God is working in spite of, right? Because that was really difficult for you to feel present or helped or, or, or cared for in that moment. That required unlearning after the fact. But there are conditions, there are things that we can't fully observe or comprehend that are going on that seem to have been conducive for this alignment, for something to come together where it's not a clean input and output. It's not something we can manufacture or, you know, slap on a bottle and sell to people, but because life works in mysterious ways, but not because God works in mysterious ways, right? Because life works in mysterious ways. And so we have this experience where God has never not been working for your health and wellness, has never not been working for the stability of your family in a situation where they're afraid, right? But the environmental conditions are not always conducive to to make something like this possible, and somehow the alignment was right where this was possible, and we get a miracle. And that is a beautiful picture of how we can, how we can hold to and pray with power while not having to turn off our brain uh, when we're asking deep questions about like, so why in this instance and not in this instance, God? Or if we're more than one of those more scientifically minded people, and it feels really difficult to believe of this God outside of time and outside of the world who just sometimes decides to tinker, but we can't seem to figure out why they do tinker with these prayers and not with these prayers. Right. This to me feels like a sensible way that we can hold both of those things. And your story does not at all cheapen the person who has prayed forever and not seen a miracle. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I want to just see like, you know, thinking uh, that we, as we talked about, you know, trying to do this of understanding what happened to you and uh, from through this different lens, I want to just give you the final word of like, is there, is there anything that that's like kind of taken your thought life as you've thought about this or, or, or any further, I don't know, this, this feels important to pass on to everybody. Um, I, I don't know about like final thoughts, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like because for me, uh, it's just my story. Yeah. You know, this is my testimony and and what had occurred. We can't explain it. Yes. You know. You yeah. know what I mean. I think that's the the miraculous miraculous impact of it. Um, but I do feel for. You know what does this mean for people that pray for miracles that that that, that they don't see that yeah they don't yeah. see. Yeah. You know, when I was a when I was a kid um, at, at, in my church, you know, the, w kids went through processes where they um, were born again. Then they, uh, which then they, uh, um, 
were baptized mm-hmm. and then they had to testify in front of their church, mm. right? And you basically had a series of kids testifying one one in front of their congregation, which really made it difficult to prevent any type of competition between Absolutely. the testimonies, Absolutely. right? And it really caused kids to only testify about miracles that occurred in their lives in front of the congregation. It really makes me feel, you know, how does it feel to be one of those kids that didn't have yes. this miracle, yes. you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I so appreciate that. that. This is the importance of having an understanding and interpretation. A, our best guess at how the world works that includes both of those comforts. We have to be able to comfort the people who have prayed and not seen something happen, and it has to be kinder and less cold than, well, God works in mysterious ways. We have to be able to comfort those people, and we have to hold to the comfort that you experience of like, this story has shaped who you are, and there's no way that you are who you are without that story. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ed. We really appreciate it. Let's give Ed a hand. Thank you for sharing offering your own personal experience for, uh, for us to, to learn together as a community. We appreciate that. Yeah, so as I was listening um, to Ed and thinking about this word that you brought in, alignment, Yeah. what comes to mind for me is all of the stories in scripture around miracles that have human involvement and participation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thinking about, for just a few of them, the woman who reaches out to touch Jesus's garment and she reaches towards her own healing and she's healed. Or a man's sight being restored by Jesus rubbing mud in his eyes, which is really weird, and then having him wash his own face. He washes his own face and he's healed. Even the water turning to wine, Jesus has other people go and collect the water in the stone jars. And so there's human participation in all of these stories. Um, And I think that this is still such a picture of a mighty God because it's a God that partners with us in miraculous ways. And it's a God, like you were saying, that isn't cold to our suffering. So we have both a mighty God and a co-sufferer. And I think that that's a really important picture of God. Absolutely. And neither does our participation or contribution to those things get down to that magical thinking way where like if it doesn't happen it's because you didn't pray enough right because yeah. we're we're when we're talking about our contribution it's neither ours nor God's it is a much more complex picture than that that can bring us such comfort when we can accept that it is not certainty right mm-hmm. it is not what you talked about last week of just like oh gosh we want just want control we just want to be like no we're not going to get that because life works in mysterious ways but God's character is consistent and that that to me that holds this together. We can have both of those comforts. Um, for some further resources, because this is a rich topic of conversation in the world of theology right now, a couple of people that we'll direct you to if you want to learn more about this. One is Monica Coleman, who is the womanist theologian we were looking at during Advent. Um, she has a wonderful bio. I just love the way she says this. She says, I teach people how to understand suffering without questioning God's love. I mean, like, I, that just gets down to it, I think. I teach people how to understand suffering without questioning God's love. So I will have Alicia drop some links in the chat for us. Uh, One is to learn from Monica Coleman. Um, She's great. And then the other is to learn from uh, the writer that I mentioned last week, Tom Ord, whose book God Can't, uh, you can read um, in physical form or in audiobook form. I really liked the audiobook because he actually reads it. Uh, And so we'll drop uh, links to those in the chat as well. All right, what's our next little mini, mini topic that we wanted to hit in our discussion of suffering today? 
Yeah, so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about imagination as both an act of embrace and alleviating. So I think imagination can be a force that's really sustaining in the midst of suffering, and it helps open us up to new possibilities for alleviating suffering as we move forward. I've talked a lot about the book Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey before because it's one of my favorites. And the fourth movement of her kind of rest manifesto is dedicated to imagination. And she's coming from just a really fierce conviction and confidence that liberation from suffering is possible now. Okay. It's not something that we wait for. We, we can experience it now. And we've got a quote from her about imagination that we can put up. We underestimate imagination belittle it as a waste of time, a thing done by frivolous children, and constantly push the false idea that imagination does nothing but allow for a moment of escapism mm. in a harsh and cruel world. The imagination that I am uplifting is not escapism. This imagination work allows individuals to be able to see what is possible. We too have a right to build and reimagine our world. Mm. So in the face of suffering, and she's specifically talking about suffering at the hand of capitalism and white supremacy, we have to have vision to create and build a world of flourishing for all people, especially the oppressed, especially for people who are suffering. Mm. So I think you can sim simultaneously imagine what a more liberated future would look like for yourself and act in ways that make that future possible. You can imagine what a more liberated world looks like and act in ways that build that world. I like that. I, yesterday, um, uh, our church had our last uh, winter meetup for contemplative prayer. And so several of us were together and doing, uh, kind of practicing silent contemplation together um, alongside God, using our imaginations as we go. And, and the idea is like that you, um, if you can do this and work this regularly into your life, you can uh, re-enter the rest of your life with more sanity, less reactive to suffering. Um, and we are often using our imagination. We're using images to, uh, to help us um, to help us work with, you know, the things that are flowing into our mind and how to place those in context. Um, we brought up, actually, while we were talking about this, uh, Trisha Hersey, um, because we, uh, like, the pace and the demands of modern American life are never going to provide space for this. And mm -hmm. some of us had had experiences in other cultures that do provide silent prayer or, like, time to let your mind, you know, go into an imaginative space, and that's not bad. Like, um, if you've been in a culture where there's a midday rest or a siesta or a two-hour lunch break, and that's not a bad thing, that's, like, a, that's an encouraged thing. And it, so it can be infuriating in our, text, in our context where, like, individuals have to do this for ourselves. There's no cultural scaffolding that is going to help us uh, take time to imagine and, you know, talks down to it, calls it childish. But it really meant that, like, there was something about us talking about this where we were like, but then it really is resistance, like, to, to, to stop and to rest and to contemplate and to, and to not, like, you know, quickly react to my suffering, but to slow down and say, okay, God, guide me into the next thing rather than I quickly jump in and react. That is a, an act of resistance. And that mm -hmm. I thought, like, we, we sort of had this, like, moment of, like, we feel charged. We're, <laughs> we're not just doing this for our own mental health. We're doing this for the world. <laughs> I love it. And I mean, we, we need to create more space for things like that. And it's, it's not just, uh, like, oh, imagining right now, like, that would be a nice little escape. Like, no, this is an active practice yeah. to make justice come to be. Yeah. Um, 
Similarly, I was reading some work from Cole Arthur Riley, who we've talked a lot about as well. Um, and she talks about the power of using awe as a lens. Um, she says that it's difficult to control the targets of our numbing, which just came up in the chat as well. Kind of if you, if you numb the dark, you numb the light. Mm. Um, when we try to numb our feelings around suffering, we can numb awe and delight and wonder. And we close ourselves off unintentionally to truly feeling those things and to even have imagination be possible as a tool. So she says that wonder is a force of liberation. Mm. And I love that. We can embrace suffering and we can embrace the wide array of emotions beyond what is heavy and difficult. This allows us to hold awe and wonder instead of despair when we're looking at the future. And so with imagination, we can embrace the many possible paths ahead, trusting that God is present on all of these paths, present in the wondering, the choosing, the coming to be, and this is freeing and empowering for someone who's suffering, that God is with you as imagine as you imagine what else could be possible. What could be possible. Yeah, I mean, la last week, one of our discussions of prayer in the middle of suffering is praying not just for single outcomes, but praying for myriad possibilities. God, there are lots of versions of a good future that could be true. Not show me the way, God, but show me many ways. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, like that to me, the, the idea that God's calling is not something that limits us to like something that's already been written and we just have to discover what that is. And it, it, that feels like a pressurized assignment that yeah. I have to figure out. Oh my God, I, I don't know what, what, the, what the way is. And now I feel stressed out because I don't know what the way is. And so prayer, I don't want to go to prayer. Prayer feels like it'll stress me out even more because I still don't know the way. This is totally different. Like if, if God is our co-author in real time and we are, we are, we are, we are looking ahead at an unwritten future that could have many versions of a good path forward, mm -hmm. then, I'm, I, then I'm not stressed out going to prayer. Prayer is something that it's supposed to do. It's like, I, I just, I feel like there's so often like we, we, we have been fed ideas that like prayer is supposed to bring you peace. And if it doesn't bring you peace, you must be doing it wrong. And I don't know, like I, I, maybe, maybe we're thinking about it the wrong way. Yeah. And, there, and there is a more hopeful, like, yeah, imagination is not childish. Imagination is good. And, and I think of, I think of so many scriptures that have been, that, that can be, can be, can stand as ex incredibly beautiful when we think about God as offering many possibilities of a good future, like uh, one that, um, a classic one that like will end up on a mug or something or on like a, on a wall hanging is Jeremiah 29 11, the um, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And that passage becomes all the more beautiful when we see in context what's happening in the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is like the most depressed prophet in the entire Bible. And what's happening is God is saying, there are more possibilities for a good future for you and your people than you thought when you were when you only believed that the way forward is for you to be your own nation and have no outside input from any other peoples. Yes, you are in exile, oh Jeremiah and all of your people. It's like the saddest point in Israel's story in the Old Testament. But I have plans to prosper you and bring you a future. There are more ways to the good than you thought. Like that becomes so much more beautiful when it's about many things and not just one thing. Or just because it, I'm on a roll, I, Romans 8:28 is another one that's like on a wall hanging or on a mug. The um, uh, in all things God works for the go, uh, the good of those uh, who who love God. And, uh, and I, I just, I think again, like if that's in all things, meaning like because there is an already written plan for life and if you just, you know, stay the path, then you'll find that already written plan for life. That is stressful. I have to stay in line. Mm -hmm. But if that means, no, in all things, no matter what happens, God can rewrite and reshape and rechange and redeem the story so that it can lead to a good future. 
oh my God, like that, then yes, oh, thank God I want to pray, you know, not, ooh, I have to pray. Does that, does, does yeah. that track? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last thing that you want to do when someone is suffering is say, here's a puzzle. Like, <laughs> good luck figuring it yes. out. Yeah. But let, instead, me, let me help you figure that out. Yeah. Like, yeah to put all this pressure on one solution, one right path, and that is access to the presence of God. Instead, to think about what is the most beautiful future for yourself that you can imagine mm. right now? What is the most beautiful future for the world that you can imagine right Receive now? Receive that from God. Receive God that. Is, God, is, God is working that, that, possibility, that possibility to you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. Last completely, to, and, and now for something completely different, as they used to say on Monty Python. Um, the, uh, the last topic we wanted to hit was um, regret. Uh, we realized that at, we've, this is now week seven or week six talking about suffering. And we've talked a lot in this series about finding comfort and hope from God in the midst of suffering that feels unfair or purposeless. Uh, finding God redeem those things, as we were just talking about here, right? So premature deaths, depression, betrayal, natural disasters. Those have been the things that we've really majored on in talking about. What I realized we should say more on, though, is when suffering is actually more understandable, when it, when it, it, when it does have purpose, and when we've made choices that we regret and we are experiencing the suffering of the consequences of our actions, um, that, like when, when a feeling is not false guilt, it's appropriate. And uh, when I think about this, when I think about this topic of regret, I think of my brother who was an alcoholic and uh, hurt my family a lot uh, when I was uh, a kid, when he was a teenager and he was uh, a young adult. Um, so it, he had a very, very chaotic, and as a result, there were a lot of chaotic parts of my, uh, my own childhood. He had a chaotic childhood and young adulthood. Uh, but in his 30s, he got into a 12-step program, into Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, anybody have uh, been around 12-step programs before? You don't have to like out yourself as like, I am a part of one, but like you've seen them, you've been, you've, you, you've, you know what they are, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, things like that, yep. So we have some uh, understanding. Um, Man, 12-step programs, uh, one of my favorite writers uh, says that 12-step programs are the greatest American contribution to the history of spirituality. And the reason is because, like, what are Americans good at? We are good at instruction manuals. And we, you, can, you can break down what it means to overcome the hardest things in life as an instruction manual, and it doesn't feel trite or, like, uh, terrible. Man, what an amazing contribution. Um, I could not speak more positively of 12-step programs. Um, so my brother took really seriously one of the steps in 12-step programs, which is we took a, for, a fierce moral inventory about those we'd harmed and made direct amends whenever that wouldn't cause further harm. That's one of the steps of the 12 steps. Before my brother died, he took this step really seriously. And on a, a day I will never forget, mostly because it was just strange but also beautiful, he called me and said, do you want to get coffee after you get off work today? And I had never gotten coffee with my brother in my entire life. But we got together, and I'm awkwardly drinking coffee. And as we sat there, he apologized to me for the ways that he'd hurt me and hurt my family. And he told me that he loved me. And I had never had any kind of connection with my brother like that before. And that is something, like, that is sucking poison out, right? For my brother to have to do that. And there's a suffering that's involved with that. There's, there's a death that goes along with that when you suck the poison out of wounds. 
but then to do so has great purpose. Like the experience that we had together. I mean, like, I, I cannot believe that one of the most intimate moments of my entire life was with my brother, who I would, like, would never say that I have the most you know, vulnerable connection with. But, I, but that's the truth. And it's because he embraced this suffering that did have purpose for him. And so this kind of suffering is what I think is behind scriptures like, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Have you heard that scripture before? When we take that in the context of regret, it's beautiful. When we take that in the context of like, hey, your mom died of cancer, and but the Lord disciplines those he loves. Do you hear how different those are, right? That's extremely different. Or there's like classic conversion stories in the scriptures, like St. Paul being blinded on the Damascus road. Kind of sucks to be blinded if you weren't blind already, right? Like that's an experience of purposeful suffering because the scales come off Paul's eyes and he is a new person. Or I think of what we sang this morning in Lamentations 3, God's mercies are new every morning. It's this beautiful line. In, in that scripture, we, we sang part of it today. In the larger scripture, there's a line in that that says, let us bury our face in the dust. The Lord has laid it on us. There may yet be hope. Now, I can totally see that line of the Lord has laid it on us having purpose if we're talking about sucking out poison. But it strikes me as deeply inappropriate if we're applying that to somebody who just, you know, experienced a natural disaster take away their home, right? Did the Lord lay that upon them? Like, this is why we need multiple different ways to hold what's happening when we suffer. They're not all the same. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have this diverse scripture that has different ways to speak to those different sufferings. Yeah, thinking about regret and making amends. Um, I've been listening to podcast episodes lately that are focused on repair. Mm. And um, in particular, there's an episode of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, where they interviewed Dr. Becky Kennedy. And this is talking about repair in the context of parenting, but it really works in all relationships. And there were two really big things from that conversation that struck me. And the first was that repair helps to amend the story. Hmm. It writes More a story new, stuff. I like this. Yeah, yeah it mm-hmm. writes a new ending to what has taken place. So in an instance of suffering, when you may have regret, you hurt someone you care about, um, if you don't do any of the repair work, that's the end of the story. Yes, this you don't would, suck the poison out. You yes. don't do Lamentations 3. Yeah. Yes, you yeah. don't have coffee. Yes. There's no, yes. That, that yes. is the end of the story for them and for you. But if you go back and work toward restoration, if you apologize and commit to change, you're writing a new ending to the story. You're going back in and amending the story. And then the other thing um, is that we often think in instances of regret or doing something wrong that we have to double down and be extra hard on ourselves. Mm. Um, it's That's kind part of, of the suffering thing. Yeah. I, need to, I need to be actively, I need to lay it on myself. Mm-hmm. Not the Lord lays it on me. I need to lay it on myself. Yeah, yeah, so we think we have to double down there. And it's actually counterintuitive, but she suggests that we instead need to affirm our inner goodness Love in it. order to change. And people counter her saying, like, aren't I just letting myself off the hook if I'm doing that uh-huh. like inner goodness thing? Mm-hmm. But she says that doubling down in shame and guilt is actually letting ourselves off the hook because we won't ever change from that place. Mm. The idea that shame is not an effective motivator. 
but instead reminding ourselves of our own inner goodness and self-worth is far more helpful if we're going to move past regret and act in new ways. Well, and that and that's where that idea in Lamentations 3, the, let them let them bury their face in the dust. The Lord has laid it on them. There may yet be hope. Like, I think the beauty in that is it is better to face the consequences of my action with God presenting that to me because God is a God of new mercies. You know, there is so little mercy in life. I have so little mercy on myself. If God is the one presenting this to me, laying it on me, there is so much more hope. If I am laying it on myself, mm-hmm. I, I am endlessly perfectionistic and will belittle myself and blame shift and make it all worse. But God is laying it on me. That's a gift because God is a God of new mercies. Yeah, God's mercies are new every morning. You get to choose if you will act the same way yes. this morning and the next morning yes. and the next. But you can change your mind and you can forgive yourself. You can repent, which may feel like charged language, but really just means turn in a new direction. Mm. You can repair. You can be hopeful. And it's not a clean slate when we're talking about new mercies because we're changed by suffering that we experience or suffering that we cause, senseless or purposeful. Mm. We don't have suffering amnesia. We're changed by it. So instead of a clean slate, I think of it as a spiral staircase. When we move through feelings of regret, instead of being stuck in them, we keep going up the staircase. We Mm. gain more perspective looking down. Mm. Healing is not a linear journey. And what, um, what I have learned and gained in these situations is helping me heal now. It's helping me transform my guilt or shame or regret now so that I can have greater perspective as I move forward. That's good. That's really good. Spiral staircase is another really good image. We've thrown a lot of images out yes, there. We were, jo- images. we were joking at our contemplative prayer uh, last week of like, there's so many images. There's so many different things you can imagine in your mind and it will help you. Um, and that's why imagination is important, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so three little mini topics that were the leftovers for our discussions of suffering. We wonder how you're thinking about miracles after this little interesting conversation. We wonder how you're thinking about the role of imagination in alleviating and embracing suffering. And then we wonder how you're thinking about regret, whether you have stories that that speaks to in your own lives. Um, so in that place, um, we're setting down our, our, our engagement of, uh, of talking about suffering over these last several weeks. Um, we would like to pray one last time um, for this series before we move to the season of Lent. So get yourself comfortable, and we'll pray. Would you take one more deep breath in with me? and out. Well, God, as, um, as each of us do have our own stories that are attaching to the, the topics we've brought up over the last month and a half, leaning into, talking about the hardest things that have ever happened to us or to our families, but then leaning into the beauty of the peace found, the maturity won, the miracles experienced, the joy that's been squeezed out of things that were initially so awful and horrible and never your will, God, but nonetheless have been redeemed. What an amazing testament to life. Death is never the end of the story. There can be something new on the other side of it.
So I encourage you now, as, as we did our, our first week in suffering, I'm going to leave a moment of quiet, and I want you to settle on a suffering that's still rattling around inside you. It can be something that is, um, that's like happening right now. You're in the midst of it. It can be something that happened a long time ago, but it's still rattling around inside you because it's like it hasn't moved through you yet. It still wakes you up. So I'm going to leave us a minute just to arrive at that. I want you to hold it. Hold it gently in your arms. Don't be mean to it. Just, be, just hold it gently in your mind's eye. And then I'm going to pray for us. Let me give us a second just to arrive at something. God, you see each of us personally as we, in our mind's eye, hold ourselves in an experience of feeling hurt or pain, suffering in some way. You hold us there. You have words of guidance and comfort for us there. You have power to impact our circumstances there. You are always working for our good, never withholding from us. But each of our sufferings are different. And so there's probably different scriptures that we need to hear to encourage us. There's different words of wisdom that we need to hear to encourage us. There's different ways that we need to be comforted or seen or loved. There's different prayers that need to be prayed. And so hold us as a community now, not just individuals thinking about our own suffering, but as a community of people that can carry one another's sufferings. Hold us now as the community that has lots and lots of room for all those different experiences, that has a big, big bag of words of wisdom and encouragement to pull out, doesn't just paste universally on everything the same tired line, but instead listens to you, the God of love and hope, who is there for each of us in our sufferings, working through the person next to you to encourage you in your suffering. We all are responsible to one another to help each other carry our sufferings. And we can do that with the God of love. We can do that in a way that speaks to the intricacies and particularities of each person's experience that holds to that beautiful thing, that one of the things that holds us all together in this room, that holds every human being that has ever lived, including Jesus, is that suffering is a part of life. We are on the same team. We are in the same boat. And we can love one another through it to the next shore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.